Sales Tuners, Episode 5, Jenny Vance, Executive Vice President of Sales at Perk. To realize and being willing to say it might not work. I feel like that's something that salespeople, especially when they're behind on numbers, want it to work so badly. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Dr. Steve Maraboli, who says, don't worry about the haters. They are just angry because the truth you speak contradicts the lie they live. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine and exceptional sales leader, Jenny Vance. Prior to joining Perk, a web engagement technology platform, she founded a lead generation company that bared her namesake called LeadGen. She grew that company to more than 75 employees and helped over 350 companies across the United States build go-to-market sales strategies. Jenny's competitive streak came naturally long before she became an entrepreneur. Not only is she a former college athlete, she's received numerous awards, including being named one of the 50 most influential people in sales lead management. And even outside the boardroom, Jenny continues competing as a ballroom dancer. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octa for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right, be sure to check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com. But now let's get to the conversation where Jenny tells me about how she got to do a fully arrested landing on an aircraft carrier. Yes. So uh, through some of my entrepreneurial background, I was part of a networking group and um, kind of a, a group of mentors with other entrepreneurs. And uh, we had an opportunity through a relationship with WPO to be able to go out to uh, Miramar and uh, be able to take a um, little flight out to the aircraft carrier to do the full arrested landing on the ship, spend the uh, evening and spend the night on the ship, get to talk with the crew and, and then get catapulted off the end of the ship at the end of the day. So it's definitely one of the most amazing experiences I've ever uh, been able to participate in. And I only hope I have multiple ways to top it in my lifetime. I absolutely love it. I spent four years in the Marine Corps and didn't get to do anything as fun as that. So I'm definitely jealous. Well, it was very humbling uh, to be able to have that opportunity, especially uh, being able to talk with the servicemen and some that had and some that hadn't yet had the opportunity to do that. So it's definitely humbling on that level. That's awesome, Jenny. Uh, so did a little bit of your bio, but tell me what I might have missed in there and uh, kind of tell me what you're passionate about when you're not at work. Well, when I'm not at work, I enjoy doing just about anything competitive, and I probably bring a little competitive spirit to just about anything I do. <laughs> so I, I parlay that into golf and ballroom dancing and volleyball, and I was definitely an athlete in college uh, with a few different sports. And so anytime I have an opportunity to be active, I really enjoy that. But uh, as of right now, I just recently moved and have been spending a lot of time with uh, renovating and decorating our new home. 
I love it. I do want to say thank you that the last time that we played golf, you did agree not to keep score. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate that greatly. So, uh, Jenny, let's go way back. Tell me, talk about how you got into sales and what that was like for you. You know, I, it took me a long time to identify myself as a salesperson. I was in sports management in college. I focused on my energy. I was an econ major that did all my internships in sports from the Pacers to the Colts to the Indianapolis Ice to USA Track and Field, the Pistons. And um, while I loved it, as I was looking for my next career move, I there were no opportunities. I had all the connections in the world. There were just no openings. And I had promised my parents that all this uh, unpaid internship effort would, <laughs> would result in a career opportunity. And I was really struggling uh, my senior year. And so I had to open up my job search. And I thought I was being really open-minded at the time. And I said, I'll do anything but work for a tech company. And I'll do anything but work in inside sales. Um, <laughs> And I think I was a little afraid of technology and, and my exposure to inside sales was really ticket sales um, in the sports arena. And um, and so I thought that was a really open-minded and naturally my first role was an inside sales role for a tech company. <laughs> so um, kind of funny how it worked out. But um, even though when I took that role, I kind of took it thinking, I'll keep looking in sports and this is, it, it pays pretty well. So I'll accept the role and I'll just kind of keep my eye out for something in marketing and sports of some kind. And really what I started to find out was that it was, I was really good at it. Uh, I was making a lot of money. I don't think I realized how motivated by money I was that I had this visual representation of exactly how successful I was. <laughs> so that was always nice. I knew what my numbers were, my measures were. But I was also around really, really bright people in technology that were all very driven and, and working incredibly hard. And that was very motivating to me and something that kept me engaged in sales. And even then, even with all the success in inside sales, I, I believed I wanted to move into outside sales for um, compensation. It was just going to be very difficult to do that in that role. And I, I started to get into some leadership opportunities. And, um, and then even through my entrepreneurial ventures, I, I've been around some um, mentors and some other executives that that told me I wasn't a salesperson, and shame on me, I believed them until I realized that I was actually quite good at it, and uh, I was really great at leading people, and those two things would work really well together in sales management, and um, that's been the focus of my efforts. Well, so I'm, I'm definitely uh, glad to hear that you did believe yourself, but what do you think it was that uh, made that switch in your in your mind? Because you are great at it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Um, I think some of it is just seeing it in, in reality um, that I had enough proof points uh, on my own that, uh, you know, I had a former business partner and I, I think maybe that business partner um, felt a little better about their contributions <laughs> and the fact that theirs were sales oriented and could focus my effort on marketing. And so I, I just never made a big issue of it. And, uh, and really at the end of the day, when I looked back and I saw how much I was selling and how much I was contributing to growth and how many deals I was bringing in and the lasting relationships I was creating and the way I was able to structure deals, um, I was very, very good at it. And I think because I was able to build trust with clients and be candid and frank and uh, it just took me some time in seeing myself actually perform in that way that I really looked back and I looked back over more of my career and realized I had tons of proof points in my past to validate my experience in sales. I just had a, a person in my ear telling me for many years that that wasn't what I was best at. 
Got it. Got it. Well, Jenny, uh, kind of what I said before we jumped on the call, we're doing the, the pre-interview. We break this show down into three parts, the behaviors, the attitude, and the techniques uh, that make great salespeople. And so I want to start with the behaviors, and that's just simply what you do. So fast forward to today, you're the <laughs> executive vice president of sales at Perk. Uh, what's that sales process look like, and, and how does someone buy from you uh, today? Sure. So we're in a slightly more transactional sale in the software as a service environment. And how someone buys from us today, since we're in an educational sale as well. So we're we're taking technology into a market that is used to buying technology for several things, but maybe not necessarily the exact thing that we're bringing. So there are lots of ways that our technology can help that people don't even realize we can do yet. So the biggest thing that we need, um, once we have a qualified client, we need to do the, the number of calls. We have to do the effort and the activity to get to a number of demos because we know that when people see our solution, then they buy, right? And we know that a percentage of them buy as well. That doesn't mean that it's just a, oh, I've seen it. Now I immediately send me a contract. We still have some selling to do. But I would say that a big trigger for us is, is that demo. When we prep around that demo, we have to, to do appropriate discovery still, and we have to establish really strong next steps and be able to still close the process. It's just for us that that process is fairly short. Um, we can go from the initial demo to close and anywhere from last week, we had a deal closed in three days. And I think we just had another deal closed today that was four or five days after the demo. And then we also have clients um, that'll close three months later after seeing a demo. So so it's, uh, I'd say our average is right around 18 to 20 days. Okay. And so uh, you said you have a great success uh, once they get to see that demo because they need to be able to see what you're doing. It's an alternative. Mm -hmm. So how are you opening up those new opportunities today? Yeah, we're doing that with a sales development team. So we have our, our account executives who are our closers. They also own some of their own prospecting. So they have to schedule some of their own demos. They own their own destiny. But we also supplement their activity, especially for our strongest performers and our consistent quota attainers. Um, we will help them maintain a strong and healthy pipeline with our sales development team, which is out there actively prospecting and actively scheduling demos for our team. Okay. Talk to me a little about uh, the role that you think coaching plays uh, in, in high-performing salespeople. You've talked to me before, Jenny, about this concept of um, learning to hit in a friendly batter's box. Can you, yeah, yeah can you go down there with, with me? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I'll take it to the level of prospecting for a sales development team and, and give a pretty tangible example. When companies bring on sales development team members, some of them sit in a room for a couple weeks trying to learn everything that they might need to learn to sell. They sit in heavy product demonstrations and um, they see they shadow on a bunch of sales calls and it's great for generating excitement. But then I have a new person that's trying to take two weeks of knowledge and condense it into 30 seconds um, to be successful. Right. And um, and a lot of people train by observation. So in the batter's box example, it's similar to trying to train someone how to hit and be a successful hitter and a consistent hitter by watching someone else hit. 
right? At a certain point, we have to teach some of the fundamentals and break down that swing. Um, we have to teach the grip on the bat, right? We have to teach the stance. We have to take some practice swings to get comfortable. Um, we know we need to lead with the knob of the bat, right? Um, before we bring our wrist through. So there are several aspects of breaking down that swing that are really important. It's the same in sales, right? We have to, we can give all of this information and, and let someone watch the game and let them watch a lot of really great hitters. But if we don't ever step back and help that person figure out how to hold the bat and figure out their foot position and when to step, then they're probably not going to be a successful hitter in and of themselves. They're going to be a great observer. Hmm. So the, the other way that I think we start to look at how do I become a really successful hitter? Well, the great hitters that have the highest batting averages can hit a variety of pitches, but they probably didn't learn that way right? They didn't learn how to be a great hitter by having stepping into the batter's box for the first time and getting a curve and then a slider and then a 98 mile per hour fastball, right? They, they practice one of those. And so with prospecting, we have to break down the message and a scenario into a really tight scenario for a role play. That's like a fastball. And once that person is good, and I like to say that in a role play, that's um, an example of someone learning how to um, get an appointment. A lot of companies skip past that. They think about that in the context of, um, uh, like instead of handling the most difficult objection, right, which is my toughest pitch. Instead, let's try to throw a change and, and just throw a nice easy pitch across the plate and get comfortable with our swing. Once we're comfortable with the swing, then we can start to introduce new pitches, which are those other objection handling scenarios that I might not have had before. And once I get comfortable with a, a few of those, then I can get in the batter's box because I know I can hit the majority of pitches and hit them fairly successfully while I learn to grow my skills on some of the, um, you know, a fastball and, you know, low and away instead of just a fastball. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I just, I love that analogy. So I, I'm going to continue with it, but, um, what does a typical week look like for you by way of teaching your reps that and keeping them going and coaching them through that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it depends on whether we're bringing someone new on board or whether we have a new person that's uh, a person that's already successful. For us, when we bring a new team member on board, we know that we can get that person up, we can get them trained, and we can get them on the phone. And um, since April, 100% of our sales hires, whether it's been an account executive or an SDR, they have had their first appointment in the first day of calling. And, and so we know that by breaking down the process in that way, we can make people successful and allow them to get on the phone and get productive fairly quickly. Then it's a matter of ongoing management and ongoing coaching, right? And some of that coaching is what I've found is really helpful is, is by equipping with a script and kind of saying, here's how your swing needs to look. Um, once that person starts to get comfortable, then we can give them more control to say, if you want to take a bigger step now or a slightly smaller step, go for it. If you want to make this swing more comfortable for you and adjust your arm position a little bit, I'm okay with it. If it starts to affect your batting average negatively, we're going to come back to the basics. I feel like I want to come to the Jenny Vance uh, Hitting Academy. This is great. This is absolutely great. <laughs> if only my batting average in college were that good. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, I want to move us on uh, and start talking about attitude. And, and that's just, that's how you feel about what you do. Mm -hmm. So how do you uh, 
you talked about in your sales process, you have to get them through that demo. Once you get to the demo, you have a very high likelihood of, the, of closing them. But how do you take control uh, of the meeting and get to do the things that you want to do in that sales process? Yeah, I think it's uh, one part of that is candor. Um, and the other part is being willing to, to realize and being willing to say it might not work. I feel like that's something that salespeople, especially when they're behind on numbers, want it to work so badly that they're they lose a little bit of trust from the prospect because they're they're unwilling to put that on the table and say look my goal for our conversation today is to figure out if there's enough value for both of us that we talk again so i want to understand what your deal breakers are i'm going to share a few of mine and we're going to figure out pretty candidly if there's a next step here that's relevant and if not that's okay we can shake hands and say let's be friends And I found that incredibly um, freeing in my sales process. I feel like it was a huge game changer for me when when I finally stopped trying to convince people. And I realized that we have a ton of value. I have always been behind products and solutions that I believe in, and I'm very grateful for that. So when I know we have value, it doesn't mean everyone gets equal value all the time. It just means that I believe we have a company that is going to solve problems for clients. When clients encounter a challenge, we're going to come to the table to fix it. I know that we have enough clients on a high enough percentage basis that are getting a ton of value that this really should be a no-brainer. If the right pieces and parts are in place. And I start to look for, okay, if someone doesn't have enough web traffic, there's only so much we can do in conversion, right? And and so instead of trying to convince that person and convince them, I'm going to put it on the table fairly early that that's a risk. And I'm going to say, so if we don't have enough web traffic, or let me tell you about the times when it doesn't work. They're rare, but there are a few. And usually when it doesn't work, it's either that we, we don't have good communication, so our client's not telling us that they're encountering a challenge. So it might take us, we can't solve problems we don't know about, or that we might not, our client might not be getting enough volume of traffic to make web conversion something that's going to generate a huge ROI. And if we're all going to go in eyes wide open, that there are a couple areas of risk there, then we can work through that in our client relationship too. And I feel like that candor is one of the biggest things from an attitude perspective that allows for a little bit of push-pull on that call that I can have needs as well. I know what it takes to have a good client. And I also can understand the needs of the client and make sure we can deliver on those expectations. And when all those needs are met, then we're probably going to have a good partnership. Some of the reps that I've worked with in the past, they talk about equal business stature. And it seems like that's exactly what you're saying. You yeah. are having just as much power in that conversation as the prospect. And being willing to exert it, it just, it, it frames the conversation in, in a much better way for, for us as the sales uh, person. Absolutely. I think that's incredibly important. And for a lot of young salespeople, especially it's, it's hard for them to come in and, and go toe to toe with a client that has 10 or 20 years experience in their industry and they feel somehow undeserving. And I feel like there are areas of where to get confidence that just because I have confidence in my product doesn't mean that I'm taking away your credibility of your 20 years experience in your industry, right? Just because I know what it takes to make a customer successful doesn't mean that I'm taking away credibility of of your knowledge. We can both have knowledge. It just can be different. For sure. What, and what, um, what's the average deal size that you're talking about right now? What are, what's your price point for selling? 
Sure. Um, it, it's a range. So for us and in an individual contract, we could be looking at anything from about $5,000 up to about $12,000. I will say that uh, there are some bigger deals in our environment because we could sell into an enterprise environment where we're doing multiple contracts, in some cases, 20 or 50. Um, so the, the upside is dramatic, but we can also get in and do transactions um, that are between 5 and 12K. Got it. Talk to me about the um, how do you personally sustain a high growth and, and, and high performance without getting burnt out? Uh, there's kind of this concept of what have you done for me lately? How do you get past that? And, and maybe how do you train it out of your reps? Yeah, I think that's always um, for a growing team. The best thing is trying to be proactive. When I when I look at that inside sales role that I took in my career, um, it wasn't because I wanted to be inside in in the inside sales function or an SDR for my entire career. Um, the minute I went into that role, the minute I, I realized that I was going to perform and, and win because I love to win. Um, but I also wanted to have opportunities to grow. I wanted opportunities to learn. And I knew that I could stay engaged in winning if I had those opportunities. And so I got proactive to ask for them. I took control of my destiny and I did that backed by performance. And I think those are the two pieces that sales reps can come to the table with is realizing that if I perform, I have a company that's going to want to meet my needs. They're going to want to keep me happy. Um, and there might be a variety of ways to do that. So instead of getting discouraged because I can't see the path in front of me, I'm going to start actively communicating with people, not to get an answer day one, but to start to build out what my vision could be for that path and what things I can start to work on so that I can stay engaged and the whole time keep my performance up um, and feel a little bit more energized. Well, so that makes sense. Let's flip to the other side of that. Um, what do you think, uh, I guess, what do you think the biggest thing is that holds uh, salespeople back from hitting their goals? Hmm. Well, I think a big one is activity. I think that sometimes with sales team members, they can start to have success and feel really good about that. And before they recognize that they don't have the activity in place to support that success, they they already are digging a hole that they have to go back and counteract. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think the equal stature in a conversation, as you described, is is another one that can definitely hold people back. Um, it's almost like people don't believe in themselves enough. And so I can see that being a, a huge constraint on success. Got it. I want to move us, Jenny, to the technique, right? And this is the how you do what you do. Um, you've talked a lot about this analogy of the batter's box, and I just think it's it's so perfect for this. Um, but I guess what have you seen as the most common thing a sales rep does to to lose control of the sales process? Hmm. I would say they start answering questions instead of asking questions at the highest level. I feel like that's when people lose control, when they start trying to answer questions and deal with objections before pausing and using that opportunity to ask a question, uh, whether it's in a negotiation, whether it's in a closed cycle. Um, I left a sales call the other day, and it was with a newer team member and a young one and one that was very open to feedback. At the end of the call, the, the prospect was kind of rushing us out. And 
Um, we had talked about a general next step, but we hadn't talked about timeline and we definitely hadn't talked about urgency to buy. And that was my question to the client of, so what kind of timeline are we working on here? We're talking about a follow-up next week, but towards what, what, what date, when do you want to start receiving value from this? And we got an answer. We got a clear timeline that we could work within. So I think that's that piece of, of sometimes we react so much to the prospect that we're unwilling to come back with a question that can help us build clarity and set better expectations and figure out not just setting a, a next step, but a strong next step has clear actions behind it of what we're trying to accomplish. So I've definitely seen reps that schedule every next step the same way that I will follow up with you next week. Hmm. That is the outcome of my meeting versus why, what are we accomplishing when we talk next week? And maybe it doesn't make sense for me to connect with every prospect I demo next week. Maybe some of them I need to connect with tomorrow because they want to start getting value by the end of the month. But in, if I don't ask that question and tie it to the value of the outcome we're all trying to achieve, and let's work backwards to figure out, do we have time to get the pieces and parts in place? Um, are people going to be available to sign contracts? Are they going to be in the office to get these things done? Um, when do we need to have an approval before we even sign the contract? Are we going to be able to talk terms before that happens? And if we're going to do all those things, then we need to start on that tomorrow. And that's how you're able to shorten the sales cycle like you've been able to do to have these one and three day closes sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I, I want to keep you going down that path. You talked about the concept of, of objection handling and, and not, a, not asking questions, not asking the right questions. So, But I want to ask about balance, right? So when you've been at this for a while, you kind of expect or anticipate all the questions that you're about to get. Uh, and similarly, you've talked about you you have a a cadence that you follow in the meetings that's going to have next steps and that kind of deal. How do you balance that with actually being present and listening um, as opposed to just running your sales cycle? Sure. Well, the best thing is that a sales or a prospect doesn't realize the pattern. That's, that's the best because any good salesperson is going to have some pattern in what they do. Um, so I, I think the best thing is that that we're not even realizing that that's happening. But one of the things that I've recognized with my team is um, two things that I've seen help us create a more customized feel. Um, one is that we can proactively handle objections by asking good questions before we start the demo. Something that I'm always listening for in my discovery. So in discovery, I'm looking for things that I can use to customize my presentation to make it extremely relevant to the person that I'm speaking with versus at the end is where I'm asking more closing calls. So I want to qualify a little bit, make sure it's worth my time, but I'm also trying to intentionally grab their language. And when I take notes during a demo, my notes are usually about what is this person saying? Um, what terms are they using? How are they just talking about the leads from their website? And I want to repeat those words and repeat those terms throughout my demonstration because that's going to make it feel a lot more like it's a customized demo to them, even though generally my demo might be quite similar um, to how I did my last one. I'm just using slightly different terminology. Um, the other thing that we've talked about as a team, we just rolled out a new demo process. And so I noticed as our team is getting comfortable with the demo script and figuring out where to click and, and what things to go through, um, what they end up doing is, um, and, and I think is common for anyone that's getting used to a new message, is you can fall in the trap of talking about exactly what I'm clicking on 
and what I'm doing. So from here, we go here, and next we click this, and we lose all of the whys behind it. Why am I clicking that next? Why is that so important? Why is that missing in the industry? And so we talk a lot about as a team in our demo that instead of waiting for objections on the back end about, gosh, your your experience is so long, I'm used to a short form, well, we know that that actually drives better results. So instead of waiting for that to come up as an objection, let's position that right out of the gate and say, most people who see this, the first reaction is that this is a long experience. Now, let me tell you why that has such a positive result and why we do that. It's intentional. And here's the impact that it's had. Now let's take a look at it. That's powerful. I really like that. Jenny, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. It's going to be time for the money round. So don't go away. And sales tuners, don't you go away either. Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Linda Mood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back and it is time for the money round. Jenny, are you ready for the money round? I hope so. All right. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I think recognizing that I don't have to convince people to buy from me. My my absolute goal is that I can deliver value. and, And if I can't deliver value, it's okay to shake hands and say, let's be friends. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? I would spend the next 30 days reading just about every book I could, specifically first 30 days in sales, probably reading some on prospecting um, and becoming really good at prospecting first. Um, And then I would start to talk with a few other expert salespeople and understand what they felt like were the best training techniques that they learned early. I think you might have alluded to this answer earlier, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Can I say both? Sure. (laughs) I would say both. I love to win, but man, I hate to lose too. (laughs) So um, I always like to say I hate sucking at things. So um, I just, if I'm going to compete, I really want to compete. Uh, but I really, even if I'm competing and doing my best, I, I will only really feel full satisfaction if I've won. There you go. Jenny, what's the book or what's a book that you've read multiple times or always seem to recommend to others? Lean in. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Jenny's suggestion of Lean In for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a 30-day trial of Audible and browse there over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding? When in doubt, ask questions. I love it. And Jenny, I'll get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after this interview? 
you can connect with me on Twitter. And my handle is at Jenny Vance Indy, I-N-D-Y. You can also find me on LinkedIn using that same handle. You should be able to locate me. would love to connect with all of you. And, uh, and then if you're ever interested in connecting over a cup of coffee, my, uh, my email address over here at Perk is jvance at perk.com. I love it. Jenny, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to Jenny, and I want to get into unpacking my top takeaways from our conversation. Number one, stepping into the batter's box. You know, great hitters in baseball don't learn to hit by just jumping in and swinging the bat. Ramping up a new salesperson has a lot of similarities to finding your swing, uh, starting by learning to hit a fastball, then moving on to hitting a changeup, and finally trying to master the curveball. The same goes for handling questions and overcoming objections in the sales process. Number two, upfront contract. Prior to kicking off a sales call, set the ground rules for the meeting. Get both parties' agendas and deal breakers on the table in advance. That way, at the end of the meeting, it will be mutually obvious as to whether you should keep talking. Number three, be proactive. Uh, Salespeople often lose control of the sales process when they get ahead of themselves in answering questions. Take a step back and make sure you're asking the right questions and even before answering one of your own, determine whether a clarifying question needs to be asked. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email lists where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. And again, you can check out all the links and show notes for every episode at SalesTuners.com. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay